Thank you for the entrance music. I need you guys to follow me around everywhere I go. And James is coming in the room. Okay, thank you. Uh, I appreciate your humor. May the Lord bless you with what you deserve, not with what. <clears throat> um, no, don't woe. Grace and truth, guys. Two sides. Well, hello if you're online. Um, my name is James, and if you're in the room, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I, I just wanted to, don't start the clock on me, because I'm going to have a, a little moment to say, um, this is a, an amazing time of worship, and I was just reminded, the last time this uh, white cross that we uh, got was, was on stage was in 2017, and it was when I preached for the first time, and it was also Easter, and we sang, Lead Me to the Cross, back in those days, that's when the song came out. Um, and God said to me, um, I said, God, if it's your will, will you make me a preacher of your gospel? And he said, only if you preach the gospel. And uh, it's amazing to me that that's what our church wants to be centered on, is the gospel. We want to be a gospel-centered church, and that's what God asked me to do with my life. And so here we are in this brand new series, which is all about the gospel, the most important thing. This year we've been saying a lot about the fact that our whole faith rests on the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected. If it wasn't for that, we can throw away our Bibles, they're of no use. But as it is, this event is coming that we celebrate this weekend of Easter where Jesus died and was resurrected and we run the risk that the most important thing that happens in a year can be brushed over with just a momentary thought. And so for us as elders, we wanted to do a long series that helps us truly with the journey that Jesus took to the cross so that we can prepare our hearts for that weekend. And not just the journey that Jesus took to the cross, but resurrection and ascension. So we're going to be for five weeks making sure that we ground ourselves in the thing that matters the most, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this series we've called Confessions, Words That Shaped the Greatest Journey in History. And we're going to be drawing out what the confessions are that people made about who Jesus is in his journey to the cross and his journey to being ascended to heaven, paying special attention to the words that people used to say, this is who Jesus is. That being said, this week is a bit different, as you can see over here. Um, Vaughan is suffering at the sea for, not for the gospel, uh, but for his own enjoyment, and uh, Dunks and Sai are at golf club championships. Um, so in one week that they weren't here, I basically made us into an Orthodox church, um, going full on Bible over here, or over here, uh, while they enjoy themselves. So I've seized the opportunity. Um, but what we are going to be doing is taking a look at the Last Supper. And interestingly, in the Last Supper, no one else makes any confession about Jesus except Jesus himself. And he actually draws his attention to who he is by actually remixing the Passover celebration. And in a sense, if we do not understand the Passover as a Jewish person understands it, we will not understand what Jesus is saying about himself and his salvation. So I'm going to read a well-known passage to us, and then we're going to get a little bit more into this. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to read some selected verses. It says this in uh, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. 
And when the hour came that he reclined a table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten. Saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, we are very familiar with these passages because we always go through them during communion. But an important thing about the sacraments is Jesus chose to institute the cup and the bread, the Lord's table, at a Passover. And in a sense, Jesus was actually pasting over the old Passover celebration and replacing it with something new. And so if we do not actually understand the significance of all the elements of the Passover, we will not understand what we are doing when we take communion, nor will we understand truly what it means to live in a new covenant. So this might be foreign to us, and this might look weird to us as non-Israeli Gentile people. But the truth is that God chose to start his salvation plan with the Hebrews. And us Gentiles have been grafted in or brought in to a plan which started for them. And it's important for us to log Romans 1.16. Salvation is first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so we have to be able to put our Hebrew spectacles on when we look at the claims of Jesus because God chose to reveal himself through the Jewish customs and the Jewish people. And so we've got to actually understand those things if we're going to understand the fullness of what Jesus meant. And so I'm going to help you with that, not being a Jew myself, uh, but we're going to be taking a look and doing a Passover meal together. Put your hands up nice and high if you've celebrated a Passover meal before, just so now I know what I'm dealing with. Okay, just a few of you guys. For most of us, this is brand new, but most of you will at least know the Last Supper. You will at least seen this picture by Leonardo da Vinci behind me. Pixelated, yes. Looks, that one in the middle, that's how I used to look, guys, if you didn't know a few years ago. But um, you guys know the picture that this is referring to, and it's massively inaccurate, Mensa, <laughs> so inaccurate. Firstly, can we not just have paintings where the people look like they're from the Middle East, not from the middle of Europe? That would be a good start. Secondly, why are they all sitting on one side of the table? Who does that? Where everyone's, it's only at the rugby. Hey? When we're at the pub, then everyone sits on one side of the table to watch the rugby. But no one does that, and the most... Uh, sort of technical thing is no one actually sat on high chairs or high tables or even sat at chairs and the tables were not rectangular at all but rather they were reclining a table as you will see in this picture behind me and uh, this reclining a table is a I thought that 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 was a <laughs> this reclining at the table is a much more intimate thing and I'm just showing this to you to show you that some of the pictures we have in our head with these verses that we're so heavily familiar with are incorrect. And that it would be good for us to get an accurate look at what was happening that night so that we never again miss when we have communion the depths of what it is. So we're going to be celebrating a Pesach, a Passover meal together. And this meal is very specific. It's a seder and that means order. And you have to eat the meal in the correct order because the order 
tells a story, which is a Haggadah. In, it sounds like, not like a Haridah, a Haggadah. Much better, much more holy to the Lord. So it tells a story, this uh, Passover meal. And so if you are a Messianic Jew and you're sitting here, and, and, and I don't do things in exactly the order that your family does, please have grace for me, um, because I'm just trying to draw mainly the significance about Jesus in this Passover more than being paying attention to the nitty-gritties. But before we can even come to the table, the first step of the Passover is that we have to prepare our homes and our hearts for the Passover. Much like I was saying, we must prepare our hearts for Easter. What, would, what the families would do is they would remove all yeast or leaven from their houses. They would actually eat unleavened bread. We just call it flat bread, most of us, but they had to have unleavened bread. And the reason for this, a child would always ask at the Passover, why is it that on all other nights we eat leavened food, but tonight we only eat matzah, unleavened bread? And then the story would be explained about how actually the night when they had to leave Egypt, they had to be ready to go. They didn't have time for this yeast to rise. They had to be ready to go. And so it says in Exodus, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No longer shall bread be seen with you, and leaven shall not even be seen with you in all of your territory. And so you have to prepare by removing all of the leaven from the house. But this in the Bible takes on a whole new meaning in the New Testament, because Jesus and Paul would liken leaven to sin. And Paul would say, do, not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, and for you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so an application for us as we are going to the cross as Christians is, are, is there any sin that is removing us from the joy of celebrating what Jesus has done for us? Because God has made us new, let's put away the old and prepare ourselves. And so they would remove the leaven for those two reasons. Now, the first thing that they would do on this table, I've got all sorts of goodies behind here, probably not with a bright lighter, but they would light the candles. I feel like I need a bright tongue in the other hand um, for this. Now, they would light the candles, but this is a very solemn moment. There would often be scripture reading as they light the candle, and they would say, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he removed the darkness from the light. Now, the first confession that I want to say that Jesus makes about himself through the Passover is this, that I am the light of the world. Jesus would say in John chapter 8, he would say, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what we're going to be doing quite a lot in this time is you're going to have to respond to me because what would happen is this would happen in a family and everyone would play their part. It was a communal moment. And so I'm going to ask you guys to join me in some times of response and I'm going to put stuff on the screen and I'm going to need you guys to heartily with gusto and with gratitude in your heart say these prayers with me because this also is a family moment and every time we do an element we are going to pray. And so put that up on the screen. Let's pray all together. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who has sent your only Son to be the light of the world, that through him we might live. Amen. Now, after the candles are lit and God's presence has been ushered into this, 
we now can move on to the next part where Jesus is making this confession through the Passover table. I am your sanctification. We come now to these cups. You will notice that there are four smaller cups and there's one larger cup over here. These four cups represent four promises that God made to the people as they were enslaved in Egypt. And he said to them, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God makes four promises and these represent the four cups. He says, I will bring you out, representing the cup of sanctification. He says, I'll be your deliverance. This is the second cup. Just like that ringtone is calling for deliverance, so God also was going to deliver with an outstretched arm. The third cup, God says, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And so unlike us, they would make note of when God made a promise because they believed the words that we sung earlier that the same God who made this promise is the same God who will deliver on his promise. So they take note that God always keeps his promises. He's a promise-keeping God. Never does his word go out and come back void. It accomplishes that which it sets out to do. God cannot lie. He doesn't change his mind. He's the God who was, who is, who is to come. And so his promises are yes, and they are amen. So we got four cups for four promises. They all came to pass. And what we have is this first cup, the cup of sanctification, which is about the fact that God said, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We are New Testament Christians. We believe that it is Jesus Christ himself who has brought us out from the world and has brought us and delivered us. He has sanctified us. He has made us a holy people. And so in gratitude, let us say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, creator of the fruit of the vine. You chose us from all peoples and made us a holy people. Blessed are you, O Lord. Amen. There's no wine in there, don't worry. This isn't going to deteriorate as we go. It's going to get better from glory to glory. Now, the next confession Jesus would be saying through this is, I am God's servant. Very important. The next part of this meal is that they would wash their hands. They had a bowl, something like this. They would just dip their hands in this water, and they would probably have a towel wrapped around them, actually, technically. Uh, and they would dry their hands like this so that they could start on the meal. But Jesus was about to do a remix. He was not about to do that. He might have washed his hands, but it's at this junction that Jesus does the most incredible thing. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
We have the one that created the heavens and the earth, that is upholding the earth with his righteous right hand, that actually decided to wipe the feet of the disciples that were reclining at table. Not because of hygiene, but because he is showing something of what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom, you have to take the lowest seat. Incredible that God would do that. But us, as we come to this table, we understand that this, by the way, was not done to stop the spread of the coronavirus. This was not even a sanitary measure that people did. They came to to the table with clean hands. But this was something to symbolize that when we come to God, we come to God with clean hands and a pure heart. But we are knowing in the New Testament that it is God himself that cleanses our heart from iniquity. And as we head towards Easter, we need to walk a journey where we're asking God to cleanse us and to prepare us. And so I've got this prayer that I've adapted. No, where am I at, guys? Have have I just remixed it? Um, So I've got this prayer for us that we can pray together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash. You guys are amazing. Now that is a great prayer from Psalm 51 that we can take. The next confession Jesus would be making as he turns to the food is, I am the life and the resurrection. We come now to the appetizers, the carpas over here. And... uh, We've got salt water in here. You might not be able to see over there in the camera, but believe me, uh, there's salt water here. And this represents the tears that were shed, that were cried by the Israelites as they faced the heavy burden of slavery in Egypt. But at the same time, this parsley represents in the Jewish culture a new life. And Jesus was about, well, God in the Old Testament was about to deliver them and brought to bring them new life. Us in the New Testament, we understand Jesus is the one that walked the path of sorrows. He was the one that took the bitterness for us so that we can have our slate completely clean and a new life. He's the one who makes all things new. He's the one that takes our iniquities and blots them out and he brings us a completely new life. We are born again, born from above and this is the newness of life that Jesus gives to us. And so we dip this inside. The new life is because it is drenched in the suffering of Jesus. And we all pray together. (laughs) We praise you, O Lord our God, for the newness of life you bring. Amen. Now, this point in the meal something very special happens with this bread. This bread, by the way, is not any old bread. Let me hold it this way. If you look carefully at the details of this bread, you'll see that it is bruised. You can see the stripes and it is pierced. You can see the holes. This was to speak of the affliction that was faced in the slavery of the Israelites, but it is also so that the scripture might have meaning that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, with this bread, at this point of the meal, what would happen 
is they would break the bread. Let's not do anything incorrect here. Under here, there's three pieces of bread that represent the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to us. They would take this bread in the middle and break this bread. Whoop. And you put this piece back in its covering in the middle. And this piece over here is called the afikoman, or that which comes later as a translation. And they put it, one-handed work here. They put it inside of this pouch in linen shroud. This represents Jesus' body, which was wrapped in linen, put in Joseph's tomb for three days. What they do is they put this and they hide this away in the house and the children would go to find it. I'm just putting it there to represent. And the children would go find it. How apt? Because God says, if you want to come to me, you have to come as a child. They're the ones who must seek the Messiah out. And when that afikoman comes back, it represents Jesus, who on the third day was resurrected and defeated the sin and graves. Jesus confessing to this, I am the resurrection. All points to Jesus. Now, at this point in the meal, we move on to the second cup. And God would be confessing through this that he is our deliverer. I am the deliverer. We come to the cup of deliverance, the second cup over here. And it's at the point where this cup must be drank, drunk, grammar, that um, the story has to be told of the exodus. One of the children would ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And then the person presiding over this would explain that the people of God through famine ended up in Israel, uh, Egypt. And what happened in Egypt was they multiplied, even though they were, they were given lodging and they multiplied and Pharaoh felt threatened by them. So he imposed insanely heavy uh, slavery upon them, measures that would bring down their population. He even at one point got so desperate that he ordered that the firstborn child of every family would be thrown into the Nile River, that that child dies. But no matter what Pharaoh did, the people of God kept multiplying in number because God's hand was over them and he kept imposing sanctions. And so the people cried out to God and God heard the cry of the people of Israel and he sent a deliverer whose name was Moses, which means drawn out because he was drawn out from the water, from among the reeds. He was set apart for a holy purpose. God was going to, to use him to deliver the people. And what God did was he used Moses as his mouthpiece and he said through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the people go. And so God unleashed 10 judgments of plagues upon the people of Egypt. And each one more intense than the one before until leading up to the last one, which was the plague of death where this angel of death would come and take the firstborn of every family unless they trusted in the sacrifice that God provided, which was the blood of a spotless lamb pasted above their doorpost and next to their doorpost. And when the angel of death saw that, they knew this, these people had faith in God and passed over them. And that's why we have the Passover. And as that story gets told, we remember the deliverance 
that God brought. It is a historical fact that there is no other explanation as to how come the nation of Israel suddenly sprouts out except if this story was actually true. And we have records that they were slaves in Egypt. That's complete sidebar. Now, the, the cup of deliverance, as you heard, was very costly. It cost all those people, those plagues, death. And even though that happened, this cup represents the joy of being delivered. But for the cost of all those that suffered, we remove and lessen our joy by dipping our finger into this cup and taking out one drop for each of the plagues that fell upon the people of Egypt. We take out one for the blood. Frogs, gnats, cattle disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death. And we remember it's costly. God's deliverance is costly. Let us pray together. Praise be to you, our God, for our salvation story that you have made real in our lives. Amen. Once we've celebrated Jesus and his deliverance, we understand that it wasn't so much just 10 plagues that brings our deliverance. It was something far worse, that the sins of the world had to be laid upon Jesus for us to have deliverance. We have a deliverance like no other. Now at this part of the meal, Jesus would be making a confession and remixing seriously. They would break bread amongst each other and share it. And they would say, this is the bread of our affliction of our forefathers, and they would give it to the person next to them. But Jesus picks up this, this bread and he says, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this is not bread that represents a suffering of your forefathers. This is a bread that represents my suffering tomorrow as I go to the cross. In other words, this is no longer about something that someone did a long time ago for the Jewish people. This is now a suffering that God would take upon himself for the whole human race, that his body would deliberately be broken and that his affliction would be the one that gives us forgiveness. And Jesus remixes the whole thing. And so Jesus, once he had broken this bread, is making a confession that it's because of his death that we have life. Bread means life in the Jewish culture. If you've got bread, you live. And that's why in the wilderness, God gave them bread and he's preserved their life in the wilderness. And Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. He is the one that gives us life, but it's because of his death that we have life. Jesus will also be confessing through this part of the meal that I am hope. We've got two contrasting flavors over here. Let me see if I can tilt it. Firstly, we've got horseradish. Terrible. Okay, this is like in some restaurants, instead of using wasabi, they use horseradish if they're wanting that hectic taste. So this is going to make me cry. Uh, and then we've got this, so that's the maror, that's the, the bitters. And then here's the charoset, here's the sweet. So we've got apples, honey, and nuts. And uh, what this represents is that this represents the bitter suffering that was inflicted for the people of Israel to be delivered. But this charoset over here represents the sweetness of the hope that we have 
because of that, that they were, have a hope because they're a nation, because they're a people, because they were delivered and they were brought out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Us as Christians, we understand that it's because of the bitter suffering of Jesus on the cross and that he did what he did that we have this sweet taste of hope on our lips and on our heart. And so these two have to go together. Sorrow and love flow mingled together. And so you've got to eat them together. So I've got a little sandwich here that has sweet and very bitter stuff in it. So pray for me. Uh, yeah, let's pray for me through this response. Okay, put it up. Praise be to our God. You have brought us freedom from all that enslaves us. Now, just stalling here. Um, it was at this point of the, of the meal that, that Judas, Jesus was dipping the matzo in the different stuff. And he gave a piece to Judas. And he said, the person that I give this to is the one that will betray me. And Jesus had, was giving him a sweet taste, but it was a bitter betrayal. But that bitter betrayal of Judas is the reason why we have hope. Okay, I've stalled with everything I can think of. Near man, sir. Tastes like Judas. Okay. Well, bitter slavery. Bitter. All right. Next. With one eye open. Okay. We come to the lamb. <laughs> Much better. Much better. We come to the last bit of the meal. This lamb bone over here is a shoulder bone. This represents that God saves with his outstretched arm. He says in Exodus 6, I will save you with an outstretched arm. But this was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. It says in Luke's account that they spread out his arms and nailed him to the cross. They stretched out his arms. God said he delivers with an outstretched arm and ultimately he did that with Jesus because they stretched out his arms and they nailed him to the cross and there it was that your sin and my sin was nailed and there it was that we were forgiven as far as the east is from the west because he delivers with an outstretched arm. He is the Lamb of God. Still doing this. Now, with this meal, there's very specific requirements of this lamb. You can't just get any old lamb and you can't buy it from the spa. This is some, a, a lamb that would be raised in your house because you had very specific requirements of it being a year old and unblemished. So we read that your lamb shall be without blemish and a male year old. We read that Jesus fulfilled this because it said he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed. We read in Exodus 12 that there was a requirement that the lamb shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. We find that Jesus fulfilled the scripture in John's account, but when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. For these things took place, 
so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. The whole Old Testament finds its climax with Jesus. Every promise of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus. His promise is yes and amen. Jesus is the Old Testament completed. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Even as John the Baptist identified at first glance, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This was an amazing thing that Jesus, being the Lamb that was sacrificed for us, it says in Isaiah 57, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some of us don't really connect with this. We're like, why a lamb? You know, a cute, cuddly, fluffy lamb. Does it have to be such a heart-wrenching animal that God chooses as a sacrifice? Could he not, for instance, you know, if I was to give a suggestion, could it not be the hardy dog that is sacrificed? You, what? By, by its feathers, we are healed, you know? Could it not be an animal that we actually want to kill, except for Rigel? Could it not be one that we universally agree uh, that actually is the one sacrificed? Why does God have to choose something so heart-wrenching as an example? And I believe the reason is because it gives us the faintest little glimpse of what it cost the father to send his only son. The truth is that the, the, the family would have gotten attached to this little lamb. I bet you that the kids would have la- named this lamb, that they would have loved this lamb, that they would have seen this lamb, and they would have played with this lamb. And that one day they would say, it's time for the Passover, and they would come to slaughter that lamb, and the kid would cry, and that it would be a heart-wrenching thing. And they would say, why does it have to be this lamb? Can't it be any other lamb? No, it can't be any other lamb, because we're giving God our best. And the father sent his best in his only son. How can we possibly fathom that God loved Jesus in the eternity of the, of the world before there was even people? He loved him with a love that you and I can't comprehend. And that was so heart-wrenching that the father so loved the world that he would give his only son. The only way we can possibly do that is by this precious gift of the lamb that would have cost the family everything to have this lamb and give it away. That is costly to the family because it's trying to show us there's something so costly about the sacrifice of Jesus and the father would have been heart-wrenched at giving his only son. What a savior we have. It speaks to how much God loves you that he would do that. The last thing I want to draw your attention to is that Jesus is confessing through all of this. Oh, no. A cup. The third cup over there. Jesus would be confessing, I am the redemption. After dinner, traditionally, after the lamb, you drink this cup. Even in the scriptures, it says, likewise, the cup after they had eaten. Now, Jesus took this cup and he said, this is the cup that is poured out for you. The new covenant of my blood. Jesus is about to remix this. This is no longer about lamb's blood that covers over death. This is now about Jesus' blood that is going to cover over the death of all mankind. This is no longer about a Passover for a people of Israel. This is a Passover for eternal life for all people. This is paid for by the blood of Jesus. We often say that the blood of Jesus was spilled. It was not spilled. It was shed. It was deliberate. 
every drop of blood was chosen to have redemptive action in your life and in every person in the world. People that no one cares about, people butchered by machetes, people discarded as property. God cares for them and he paid for them with his blood. He loves every person and he would show it with his own body that would be broken and he would shed his blood deliberately for the sins of mankind. Every offense in the world was against God himself. Every lie against a person is a lie against God. A rape perpetuated against a person is a rape of someone that God created. It's an offense against God. This world has had 100 billion people around about that have lived on it. Every person guilty, every person selfish, every person guilty of whatever it is. Lies, degradation, rape, murder, from legal crimes to small interpersonal crimes. They were all counted by God. Not one of them passed his eye. He saw every person abused. He saw every injustice. Nothing has passed passed him by and there must be a reckoning and there must be justice for all the innocent people that were hurt and he loved them and they were the apple of his eye and he formed them in their mother's room and he's going to pay he's going to make somebody pay for it and you know he chose not to bring the wrath of his justice down on you and down on me he brought the sword of judgment on his only son and he slaughtered his son that the blood of Jesus would be a new covenant not like the covenant that he made with the forefathers in Egypt that no one could keep, but a new covenant, a fresh covenant for you and for all so that all people can be forgiven. This is redemption and he took the cup and he said nothing about lambs, nothing about the exodus. He said, you know what guys, when you drink this cup, think about the fact that I am going to die for all of you. Judas was at the table, died for Judas. He was going to betray him. He still loved him. Even for the Judases, he died for people like you and me who have, who have no desire to know him. He said, I'm bleeding for you. Long before you were born, Jesus loved you. And he made a, a, a way for redemption for you through his own blood. I didn't even come up with a, a cheers for this one because I don't know what to say. So I will just say, thank you, Jesus for the blood that you shed, for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Jesus never drank that fourth cup. He never even bothered with his cup of Elijah. After that, he said, I will see you in the kingdom of heaven. I promise you I will. This third cup, the cup of redemption, was where this account ends for us. But this cup, over here is the cup of Elijah. It was put here, this large cup, and they would leave a place at the table for Elijah because it was said in the Messianic promise that Elijah comes before the Messiah returns. Now we believe Jesus has come, but we believe Jesus will come again and he will wipe away the tears from every eye and he will make all things new. And so we leave a place at the table because we believe Jesus is coming back. At this point in the meal, often the afikoman is retrieved. Put out on the table, the removal of this afikoman represented Jesus' body that was in the tomb. But the return of the afikoman represents that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was his linen shroud body. They left it there and he came with his resurrected body. And just as it's true that this meal cannot end before the Afikoman returns, so it is true that the feast of the supper of the lamb at the return of Jesus is necessary for him to come back before we enjoy all that God has bought for us in eternity. Now, 
I want you guys to realize one more thing as I ask the band to kind of make their way, that Jesus is making this confession that I am the greater Passover. Jesus is saying the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. Every festival is about Jesus. He is the one that removes the leaven of sin from our lives. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have life eternal. He is the holy one that sanctifies us, that sets us apart from the world. He is the one that is the servant of God. He not only washes the hands of his disciples, but the disciples' feet. He washes our hearts clean. Though we dirty, though we have no ability to actually wash ourselves clean, he is the one that washes us clean. He would be saying through this parsley that I've now eaten, He's the one that gives us new life. He's the one that makes us born again. He's the one that takes this bitterness of this path to the cross where they gave him vinegar when he said, I want a drink of water. He took that for you to have new life. He's the one that took these, the bitter path of the slavery of you and me, the slavery of our sin in order for us to taste the sweetness of the hope that is in him. He is our living hope and it's because of him that we have hope. He is our deliverance. He is the one that delivered us from a greater exodus, not from a slavery to Pharaoh, but a slavery to our sin. Far greater exodus that God would deliver us from. And he is, let's go for the lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He does it with his outstretched arm from one cross to the next. The nails did not hold him there, but it was his love for you. He is the afikoman the one that was wrapped in the tomb, but he came three days later and was resurrected. He is the one that is the bread of heaven that bought our forgiveness. He's the one that took our plagues upon him, all that we deserve, so that we can be free. It's an amazing salvation that we have in Jesus. And he made a cup of a new covenant. And it doesn't matter if you feel like you're moral today, if the people did not paste the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, their firstborn died, however they thought they were. So if you think you're moral and you can stand in front of God, I tell you the truth, you will surely die. What matters is that you're found in Jesus because his blood is the one that saves us. And likewise for us who are in Christ, it doesn't matter how you feel. You might feel condemned this morning. It doesn't matter how the people felt inside of that home. It mattered that the blood was on the doorpost. And so for you and for me, what matters is one thing. Are we in Christ? And have we received the forgiveness that he has for us? Because if so, we're covered by the blood of the lamb. Will you stand with me? We're about to sing a song about what Jesus did for us. That he was a man of sorrows, the lamb of God, who was by his own betrayed. That the sin of man and the wrath of God has been on Jesus laid that he was silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. But bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. And so I want us to just get our hearts in the right place. Before we take communion, it says we must examine our hearts. And so as these words come, perhaps you want to even sit down, kneel on your, on your knees, and just let these words wash over you. Make sure you understand what it is that Jesus has done for you and for me. And what it means to be in this new covenant of forgiveness and then we're going to take communion together.